Good morning, my little cherubs. It's me. I'm back to talk to you on this podcast, the Fig Widow podcast, about creative things, artist, artistry, poetry, food, everything that you love and some things that you probably also hate, but can learn to love with a little bit of effort, with a little bit of uh, magic, perhaps, as well. Um, Yeah, so I'm back this week to talk with friend of the pod, Genevieve Barbie Turner of Killer Pancake about her tarot deck, her art, her illustration, and the things that she's digging right now. Uh, And I can't wait for that conversation. But before we get there, I want to do what I usually do, which is talk about the things that I am reading, the things that I am listening to, the things that I am just really into right now as far as media goes. Uh, I believe last week I talked about reading The Collective Schizophrenias by Esme Wujanying, or Wang. Um, and I finished that book on my flight. Actually, I finished it at work when I got back from Florida. Um, and I really liked it. I do kind of wish that I had read it instead of listening to it, but I can always do that by buying the book from local indie bookstores which i'm going to keep saying that on this podcast i'm just going to keep telling y'all to support your local bookstores instead of amazon or like barnes and noble or those like big big box shops um yeah so i'm gonna uh keep saying that stuff for as long as this podcast is a thing but yes i finished that book the collected schizophrenia yes it was great um I think toward the ending, it sort of lost me a bit, but maybe that was because I was in like a weird space at work and couldn't pay too much attention to what was being said. But yeah, I found myself sort of drifting out at the end. And it's a really wonderful book of like real science around schizophrenias um, and what they mean and what are the effects. And also this very deeply personal story um, about survival and struggle but also triumph in some ways too. And I like that the uh, author doesn't necessarily try and bring it to this like very hopeful, inspirational end. Because sometimes that can be disingenuous, especially when you're a person dealing with a difficult diagnosis such as schizophrenia. Um, but people want that feel good, everything's okay, everything's fine sort of ending in books when you're dealing with personal stories. And sometimes... It's not like that. Sometimes it's scary. Some days are good and some days are bad. Uh, And we just have to deal with that. We have to not look for those clean-cut, positive endings all the time. So I like that about the book. Um, And I have restarted Disappearing Earth by Julia Phillips. Um, It was recommended to me, not personally to me, but I keep talking about this book on the podcast, but Sarah Lane Smith wrote Mary Lou is Everywhere, and on the book, the list of books that she said that she read in order to prepare for writing that book was Disappearing Earth. And I read the description and was like, I got to read that book. So I'm listening to it now through my little Libby app. And it's fucking awesome. That book really, for me, illustrates the ability for literature to be scary, especially in the modern sense. Like... I'm not particularly a fan of genre fiction anymore as much as I used to be. Um, 
I used to read a lot of like James Patterson and stuff and those sort of thrillers, but I'm not as into that stuff anymore. Um, so this book has a very particular scene that for me, just like sent chills up my body of like, oh fuck, something bad is going to happen. Oh no. You know, and that like feeling of watching someone do something they shouldn't do, but not being able to do anything to intervene and help them is just, oh man, it captures that moment so well. And I really love the book, the cover, which is not important, but the cover is really beautiful. Um, right now I am looking at a spider web that has been made in the corner of my window. Um, I actually have a bridge witch's candle on the windowsill as well, which is Genevieve's um, sort of company. And yeah, this web is just like so cute. I can't see the spider. I wonder where it is. Wait. Oh, he got a little snack. There's a um, little fruit fly in the web. So somebody's going to be eaten later. Okay, back to what I was talking about. Uh, still making my way through uh, Araceli's Germay's collection of poetry. And finishing up Dunce by Mary Ruffle. Which, every poem that I read in that book is even more delightful in some ways. It's like a real balance between devastating and delightful in that book. And I just love reading those poems. I just love them so much. Um, but today I'm going to be reading for you from a book of poems that I finished a little while ago. But I'm obsessed with this poet. Her name is Donika Kelly. And I'm going to be reading some of her poems for you right now. So this one that I want to start with is called Love Poem Pegasus which is from her, her collection, Bestiary. I don't know if I said that, um, but yes, here's Love Poem Pegasus. Fouled, fully grown, from my mother's neck, her severed head, the silenced snakes. Call this freedom. My first cry, a beating of wings, abandon. Call me orphan before I even know what a mother is. I think myself arising, feather and hoof, neigh and caw, and you always on my back. You bear a sword and shield, remind me of her labor, her storming gaze. What beast will you blade free next? What will call you lose from another woman's throat? Mm. Actually, that says, what call will you loose from another woman's throat? Oh, man. I love using the word loose like that um, in poetry. Okay, I'm going to read another poem. It's another love poem. This one is Chimera. I thought myself lion and serpent. Thought myself body enough for two, for we found comfort in never being lonely. What burst from my back, from my bones, what lived along the ridge from crown to crown, from mane to forked tongue, beneath the skin. What clamor we made in the birthing, what hiss and rumble at the splitting, at the horns and beard, at the glottal bleat, where bridges are back. 
What strong neck, what bright eye, what menagerie are we, what we've made of ourselves. Mm. Menagerie. What a good word. I feel like I'm going to keep reading more. Maybe I'll read another short one. Yeah, I'm going to read another love poem one. This one is Minotaur. And then that'll be the last one. Freedom is a thread of light snaking the canyon like an ant through a conch. A goodbye to each dead end in small room. Salt, once of the sea, now of the wind, now on my brow, making a witness of me. I open my mouth to the wind. The wind opens my heart, my breast. I leave the bare bones behind. I leave the soul, once another's, once my own, there in that maze of sand, mortar and bellows. A golden light hails me, pulls me like a worm from the earth. Those opening couplets, freedom is a thread of light snaking through the canyon like an ant through a conch. Like, what? What? Who thinks of that? It's just, oh God. This is why poetry, for me, like, I've said before it's the only language that makes sense to me. And it truly is, like, it's the only language that makes complete and total sense, but also astounds me in ways that is, like, baffling but wonderful. Yeah, poetry is it for me. Definitely it. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to read a couple poems from that collection because I really liked it. And what else? Oh, yes, uh, last night I had a reading at... Uh, something knights knights of conroy yes knights of conroy which is like a really eclectic beautiful space there are there were dried flowers everywhere in the space and when i got ready this morning to do my grocery shopping there were dried flowers in my scarf and in my coat which is like really cute um i read with my friend robin <clears throat> and other friend heather mcnair who is a great poet have these hilariously frank and long poems about relationships and I just loved listening to her read that was my first time hearing her read out loud and it was really great um yeah so that was a great night there was music by Karen and the Sorrows um there were two other performers that I am blanking on their names but I'll put it in the description so you can check out their music um but yeah it was just like such a good night and it was a long day because I had to work, so I ended up leaving early before it was all over. So that was kind of sad, but I had a wonderful time. I read some really cool poems. Um, at some point, I'll le- read some poems that I've had, had published for you on this podcast. But I'm not ready because I don't want to expose myself in that way, you know. I want you to get to know me a little bit more, and then I'll read for you what I've done. I feel like that's a fair trade. But yeah, um, I'm going to do my Untoppable Bop right now, and then you will hear, hear Genevieve's later. So mine for this week is 
uh, by one of my absolute favorite musical artists. His name is Gabriel Garzon Montana. Uh, and he is just like a fucking powerhouse. He speaks like a ton of different languages. He is a great pianist. He like dances. He has the most wild fashion sense that is like not afraid of femininity and color and sharpness and bluntness and it's just like oh I'm I'm obsessed with him in every way that I could be I'm so obsessed with him um but yeah he has a song called uh poor maman uh I think I'm saying that right and it is so good that song is like the way that it builds just will send you on this very sexy and emotional ride especially there's a live version of it where he's uh, performing somewhere in New York and if you just go to your YouTube and Google I mean YouTube search (laughs) Google search on YouTube an evening with Gabriel Garzon Montano and that's uh Gabriel G-A-B-R-I-E-L and then Garzon G-A-R-Z-O-N Montano M-O-N-T-A-N-O and it's an evening with Gabriel Garzon Montano or G-G-M and just search that and watch the whole video but I believe the song that I'm talking about starts about four minutes in maybe three actually Um, because it's the bulk of the video and just the vocal performance he gives is it's erotic you know what I'm saying like it's just so good that song is untoppable in every sense of the word and I love it Um, also closely ranked was the song My Balloon that I love listening to by him it's just another really great He's he's on my YouTube channel, um, like my recommended channel right now. And I'm just looking at his beautiful face. Yeah, so My Balloon is a great song by him as well. Sour Mango is uh, a bop. A fucking bop. Oh my god, Sour Mango is so good. Um, but yeah, Poor Marmon is the song that I really love to listen to by him. Especially that live version that I told you about. So you can go listen to that on YouTube right now and yeah so I have that stuff and what else would I like to talk about right now what have I been watching I started watching this show single parents on Hulu because I canceled my Netflix subscription uh just because I'm trying to watch less things but of course I just moved over to Hulu um and that show is like it's a sleeper hit There are parts of it that are, like, so fucking corny, but it also is very funny in other parts. It's got, like, uh, that guy from SNL, Taron Killam, um, and some other actors that I'm not necessarily familiar with that are really good in it. Um, It's just about uh, single parents at one particular school and, like, the trials that they go through. So if you like kind of corny comedies, it's a good one to watch. Um, And that's it for the top of the episode. I'm going to be back in a little bit talking with Genevieve. Hi there. Do you like what I do here? As in making this podcast 
attending events and reading at them, making my own events and reading at them, having other people read at those events. Then you can support me in the easiest way possible. You can become a patron to my Patreon at patreon.com slash Poet. You can subscribe for as little as $1 a month. You can do 5 You can do 25 You can do 100 if you're balling like that. But it's not necessary to be balling to give a little bit of money to help support my creative process and all the work that I do that goes into Big Widow things. If you become a subscriber at $5 a month, you will receive uh, a handwritten thank you note that doubles as a conjuring spell. If you do $25 a month, you can get that handwritten thank you note that doubles as a con- conjuring spell and have it touched with a little bit of lavender, an exclusive Big Widow merch ring that I'm having made right at this moment. And if you do a hundred, which is like, ooh, thank you so much. You're a sweetie who understands and appreciates the level of work that goes into creating and performing one's art. You're also a radical as heck and committed to advancing the voices of black women. And that $100 comes with the ultimate prize of a handwritten thank you note and a signed copy of my book of publication. You'll also get a widow ring, sticker pack, and your choice of other merch. Yeah, so if you have it in you, if you are able to, I understand we're all struggling out there. Give as, give as little as a dollar, give five dollars, give whatever you can, and it will be so appreciated and it will support black artists and black art. Thank you for everything. Thanks for listening and peace. All right, thanks for waiting. We're back now with Genevieve of Killer Pancake. Say hi to everybody. Hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I have some questions for you if you're okay to answer them. This is like a deposition. (laughs) (laughs) I anticipated you'd be asking me questions, so yes, I'm okay okay with answering them. All right. So when did you first get started drawing and illustrating? Uh, Those are two very different uh, answers. Um, So um, I've been drawing since I was forever, like since I was four probably. Um, I drew a picture of a lobster that was in oh. Highlights magazine. Ooh. Yes, I know. Oh, fancy. Yeah, I know, really. <laughs> my biggest claim to fame uh, at this point in my life. Um, so, yeah, I've been drawing forever. I remember as a kid, my uh, a family member had given me these, like, instructional videos, like, that you could watch and, like, kind of walked you through the process. And I, I did, I, like, on a VHS tape. Oh. Yeah. And nice. uh, yeah, and I was little, like I was like young and it was like for adults <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> sure. but I mean, like, that's the thing about drawing is that it's, it's something that, um, you know, you can start at any time in your life and it's, it's just a process. It's just mm. constantly refining your technique and, and always working on your craft. So illustration came a lot later. I never thought that I would ever be an illustrator. I always kind of leaned more to the fine art side. Um, as a kid, uh, I would, uh, like I was obsessed with drawing the figure and I definitely went through that phase that I think every artist goes through, uh, where, you know, I was obsessed with a particular artist and how they learned how to do their thing. And, and, um, I remember reading about how the, uh, impressionists who were my favorite at that time, specifically, uh, I was a big Degas head and, mm-hmm. uh, 
he would go to the museum and look at paintings and, and recreate them. Like that was how he learned, you know, is literally copying other people's work. <laughs> uh, because the idea was that there was one way to do a thing. Right. And like you had to learn how to do that. And so uh, I, my version of that was I had a subscription to Vogue magazine oh. and I would go through the advertisements and recreate the advertisements. Um, and that was like my obsession. And then I got accepted to the governor's school for the arts, which where I grew up, uh, was a year round thing. So, uh, from 15 to 18, I studied at uh, local universities. Um, and I focused predominantly on drawing. So like when I decided to go to college, you know, they kind of, this is basically like an art prep school. And they were like, you know, there's a variety of different portfolios that you could give to a variety of different schools to do a variety of different things. And I basically at that time was like, well, I'm probably not good enough to get into like a RISD, uh, which is the Rhode Island Institute of Design or a Pratt, which is in Brooklyn, question mark. So. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> it's in New York. Um, and I don't know how interested I was in even doing that. I just, you know, and I looked at some, illustration school. I looked at Micah, um, and I think WashU at one point, a couple different places, maybe Chicago. Uh, some people I knew went to Boston, San Francisco. And I was just like, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know if mm -hmm. I can do that. So I went to Carnegie Mellon, which is a lot more conceptual. And I was like, well, regardless, I'll have a degree from Carnegie Mellon. So I'll just kind of figure it out later, I guess. And, um, I <laughs> realized that I kind of have always wanted to do illustration, but mm -hmm. I never thought that I could for whatever reason. I don't know what that block was about. I can't really explain that. Uh, but that I am an illustrator and not really super interested in the fine arts. Um, not that I'm anti fine arts and I consider myself an artist, but I mean, you talk to one person and they'll give you three different definitions for these things. You know, like mm -hmm. there's designers, illustrators, artists, they are all, all different, but they're all kind of similar, but they're all really different. Right. Yeah. And there's a million reasons why and why they're not. Um, and to most people on the outside, they don't really give a shit. They're just like, this looks cool or not, like whatever. Yeah. So, um, so I, so I pivoted to illustration really late, like only like a handful of years ago at this point. Um, and really all illustration is to me is telling a story, an active story mm -hmm. as opposed to fine art, which is maybe like, uh, more focused on the creation of the art object, right? Like, yeah, or different, uh, different, but same. So, uh, yeah, I decided to do that and I was like, let's, let's just do it. And I applied to the Pittsburgh Society of Illustrators and got in with like what I thought was a terrible portfolio. Like that's literally <laughs> like my entire story. It's like, uh, like when I applied to governor's school, I was like, I'm not going to get in. And then I did. And then same thing with CMU is the only school I applied to. And I was like, I'm not going to get in. And then I fucking get in. Yeah. And then the same thing with the Wizard Society of Illustrators. So I'm just like, they're not going to accept me. Like, you know, I'll just be like an adjunct member or whatever. And I fucking got in. And I was like, yeah. how is this possible? Like, what, <laughs> what? You know, so I think I'm the last one to really know. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. And, and honestly, since I, since that happened, I've been really focusing on like, well, what does being an illustrator really mean? Yeah. Like what, what, especially now that like, it's not the same as it was in the nineties, right? Like, mm -hmm. uh, or even, uh, the eighties when I would say it was probably like the real, like seventies to eighties is like the heyday of illustration. I think if you talk to most people, but it also depends on like what arm of illustration you're talking about too, because yeah. there's so many different kinds. So, 
I consider myself uh, to just be independent. Like I don't like to do editorial because I don't like the turnaround. Um, and my whole thing is I like to make things and sell them on the internet. That's what I tell people. Yeah. I'm like, that's what I do. I, people do not like it when I say that. They're like, what? And I'm like, there's just no, I, you know, I consider myself a storyteller. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's how bridge witches came to be. And it sort of has informed the direction of, uh, the subject matter that I focus on. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, yeah. So the illustrations only been for probably like five years. Okay. And art since forever, drawing since forever, always. It's the way I think. It's the mm. way I like. Yeah. You know, like everything is around drawing. I yeah. can't not do it. <laughs> That's what I say about poetry all the time. Is that's like the language that I speak in is poetry, mm-hmm. which sounds kind of pretentious when I say it out loud, but it's like it just makes sense to me. You know, it's, but poets are pretentious. Like, so you were born. Yeah, that's true. Pretend, like that's I was born to be this way. That's <laughs> the point. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> was there like a particular class or teacher during your college years that made you like more comfortable making that switch between fine art to illustration? No, because I didn't yeah. make the I didn't make that switch until long after college. Yeah. Um, no, definitely not. Uh, I I had some teachers that I didn't mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's so terrible. I you know I have to say that like I I don't think I would have done well no matter where I went. Um, I don't think I was ready to go to college. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I was, uh, like, I, I don't really think I knew what I was doing, like, mm-hmm. or what I wanted to do or what I was capable of or anything like that. I didn't have any kind of concept of that. And, you know, I, I will say this, I am extremely privileged to have lived the life that I have, you know, um, to go to the governor's school. But I always kind of, flew under the radar, you know, like, and I never, I hated the idea of like having potential mm-hmm. because it was always so terrifying to me, you know? Uh, and I would see the other kids that were like clearly the art stars, you know? And I was like, whatever does they have? I do not have like, yeah. I like whether that is confidence or direction or whatever. And like, I went to, <laughs> I went to the governor's school with kids that like, you know, would, cast things in resin like animal bones and like oh god yeah like i'm talking like crazy shit you know um it would pour this shit with no ventilation or masks or anything like that which is stupid yeah you know really dumb um i went to school some amazingly talented people Mm -hmm. like you know right off the bat and uh i think it kind of drilled into my head that like if you were talented it wasn't a matter of getting better it was just you were gifted by the gods, you know? Yeah. And so, um, you know, I knew people that got along well with teachers and seemed to like have that bond and, and seemed to fit in and see, like I say seemed, because that was obviously my perspective clearly, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, that might may or may not have actually been the case, but like, uh, you know, I saw people that clearly had, had it. And I was like, well, that's not me. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to do my thing. And, um, you know, that's it. Like I wasn't really like, and then I'm going to take over the world with my amazing art. Like that was never on the agenda. Like, um, you know, even when I graduated from CMU, I was like, well, I'm just going to get a job and kind of keep my painting habit going. Like that was literally it. Like that was the, that was the plan. Like there was literally no other plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's stupid because like, you know, having gotten such a, like looking back, I'm like, wow, I had a great advantage, you know, like to, but I didn't want, 
to get a real job. I didn't want to do anything else but draw. And I just didn't know what to do as yeah. far. You know what I mean? So like, um, and it was 18 when I decided, 17, when I decided to go to CMU mm-hmm. and, you know, barely 21 when I graduated and I was an idiot. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I didn't have, like, I didn't have any concept of like what, and you know, we had like reviews and stuff like that, but it was just sort of like, is this work, good are you getting it are you fitting in or not and like Mm -hmm. it wasn't like okay maybe you should think about you know going to grad school or doing whatever and I don't even know I don't even remember what advice I fucking got for my senior review like I I literally don't even remember it like Mm -hmm. and that's I'm not disparaging you know anybody that gave that advice it was just that like I clearly didn't click with anybody in a real particularly meaningful way but I also like kind of shut it all down anyway. Like, cause I yeah. was like, I don't feel like I fit in here. I really know what I'm doing here. Like I'm just here and I, uh, I'm just going to try to get through this. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I tell people that I'm like too stupid to stop. Like it's true. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Like, you know, when I think like when it really comes down to it, like I'm not going to not make things like I'm not going, yeah. it's never not going to happen. Um, however it comes to be, it shall be. Um, but, uh, you know, it's not really, it's never really been for me about like, Oh, I'm going to get this great job. Like, I don't really give a fuck about any great job. Like I just want to make stuff and I would prefer if people bought it, like that would be great, you know? Uh, and I, what's been amazing, like since I switched to illustration and with things like Instagram and, you know, other aspects of the internet, it's been amazing to be able to connect more directly with other people instead of having to go through gallery system or whatever, like, which still exists and and has its place. But like, um, it's been so great to not, to be able to just put something out there, get that feedback and have people be like, yeah, I want that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, just sort of feeds the, you know, fire of like, okay, well, Maybe I should just keep doing that. Yeah, you know? for sure. This is a terrible answer. It's <laughs> <laughs> definitely a good answer. Um, so how did you come to decide to like do CMU? Of all the schools that there are. <laughs> this is such a stupid answer, but it's fucking true. <laughs> so CMU was one of the only schools that you only had to apply to the school, like one school to go mm-hmm. and do academic and art. Oh, okay. So if I would apply to... Uh, and now, mind you, this is like what two, I, I went to college in two thousand three to two thousand seven. Uh, so this is before the economy hit the shitter, mm-hmm. uh, like right before. <laughs> like, dare I say, when I graduated, it basically like, like you know, got yeah. really bad. And then I remember thinking like, oh, so all these people that spent all this money to get these great jobs, they can't even get a fucking job. So now you know what it's like to have an art degree. <laughs> I was like, this is what it's like. Like I was under no like, you know airs that like I was going to get some, you know, big, huge, fancy, whatever job. Um, so, uh, that being said, I also knew that if I had an art degree that I would have a really like resourceful degree, like I could basically kind of make with it what I wanted, like, and that's what everybody that I graduated with did. Like there's people that went to Hollywood. There's people that went like completely independent. There were people that became lawyers or people became big, hotshot designers that mm-hmm. one guy I know I graduated with, his name is Doug Fritz. I just recently saw him. Um, he's doing something with like, I'm not even fucking smart enough to know what the fuck he does, but like, it's like, and he was always like super smart, but he did like a computer science and art degree mm-hmm. and like does some crazy 
like machiney learning thingy, like fancy computer thingy, uh-huh. but then also like draws and stuff or whatever. And I was like, those were sweet. Yeah, like, cool. yeah, right. Like, yeah. so yeah. Um, why did she see me? So, uh, I have family in Pittsburgh. My mom's from Pittsburgh. So, uh, leaving Chesapeake, I knew that, um, I was not going to do well in a big city. Um, having seen everybody else that, that say went to Boston or New York, so many people I knew mm-hmm. would go to New York and flame the fuck out. Yeah. You know? And I was just like, I will do that. That will happen to me. Mm-hmm. Like I knew that. Um, I didn't want to go out West. Um, I just didn't want to go that far from home. Um, and so Pittsburgh just kind of seems safe and it sort of always felt safe. And if anything, nowadays it's getting too crowded for me. I'm like, there's too many people around here. Oh yeah, for sure. It's too much of a city. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go out into the middle of nowhere. Um, so yeah. Uh, and CMU was really the only thing that kind of fit the bill and was close. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that it was like a big deal school. I knew really nothing about it before I came to look and then I did a tour and, my mom actually went on the official tour and she was like, you can just go wander around. And I, I think I went and looked at the uh, studios and I was like, this seems cool. Like this seems like I'd fit in and it'd be great. And um, you know uh, and when I got in, I could like take academic classes mm-hmm. without. So if I went to like a MICA, I would have to also apply to the university of Maryland to take classes over there. And like, I remember thinking like, honestly, I was also kind of like really depressed and sort of not feeling good about my life in general, like, and kind of panicked about the idea of, you know, um, this huge life change in this college and Mm. again, not being ready for it. And so I was just like, I only want to do this once. I just want to do this one time. I don't want to apply all this other shit. I went to these, uh, we went to these portfolio review days. Um, and so we would take our, uh, and I had done them many times because at GSA, they were always like kind of prepping us to do that. Like the whole point is to learn how to talk about your work and da da da. And, uh, you know, I knew I interviewed well and I've talked to a couple other places and they were just like, yeah, this is great. Like whatever, you know, but CMU was like, Hey, this is a great portfolio. You also talk really well about your work. I am going to put a mark on your little card here. And when I get back to Pittsburgh, I'm going to talk to them about you and da da da. And then I got a letter in the mail that was like, your portfolio has been accepted. Essentially you've been accepted to the school of art. Yeah. You still have to apply to CMU and get in through their academic thing, which was a fucking hysterical to me. Cause I was like, uh, <laughs> my SAT scores are not great, but whatever. <laughs> um, and somehow, and I went and I interviewed there and I got in and I was just like, well, I did what I was supposed to do. I yeah. got into college. <laughs> Fuck the rest of it. Like, I don't feel like everybody was so motivated. And so like, I'm going to go take on the world or, you know, they were like, I'm not going to college. I'm joining the military or I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to get married. And I was just like, I don't know what my options are. I just know I don't want to stay in Chesapeake forever. So yeah, for sure. Pittsburgh seemed like a pretty decent option. And um, yeah, I mean, I was super fucking lucky to get in. Um and I did okay. <laughs> like yeah. I did fine. I wasn't the worst. I certainly wasn't the best. Uh-huh. Um, I just sort of kind of did it, you know? Yeah. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what does your studio space look like? Ugh. I always like to ask that question just cause I feel like my space has a direct effect on how I work. Mm-hmm. Um, and really need to set a mood when I'm going to be like writing. So yeah. I always like to ask that other people have to do that shit too. Of like, 
lighting candles, getting the right tea and all that other stuff. <laughs> um, I, so I've gone through a few different studio spaces. Um, I used to rent a space. Okay. Um, that was, that was pretty cool. Uh, it was over on the North side and, uh, it was in this old firehouse that like, it was on arch street. Okay. Um, and, yeah. uh, it was, it leaked like a fucking sieve. Mm. Like it was so old and like he put no money into that building and okay. it was just, yeah. And it was all potters. Like nobody painted, like if they did, it was like, you know, occasionally they painted. It was all people like with pottery stuff. Okay. And below there was this gallery space that was really cool. I actually met some really cool people there. It was really, that was like probably one of my favorite times in Pittsburgh. Like, you know, when I really had no idea what was going on or what I was doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was right across the street from Randyland. Oh, okay. Yeah. Randyland. And this is like before Randyland got written up and everything like that. It was yeah. just Randy like doing his thing, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, he would invite us over to his place. And, oh, that's so nice. Know, yeah. And we could like, he's like, here, I'm doing, I'm, I'm recreating the zoo and I have these little cutouts of these animals. Do you want to glue one on the wall? And I was like, sure. You know? <laughs> so like we'd go over and glue stuff or whatever. And uh, yeah, it was awesome. Um, and I rented that space for like nothing. You know, mm-hmm. and um, uh, yeah, and then the, one of the people that I was there with uh, died. Actually, it was really sad, and um, I eventually just sort of lost interest in going over there, and was like, Oof. Um, and I've let's see, did I rent any other? I'm trying to think if I like worked out of any other space. I think that was like the big one. Might have had a couple others. I was over at Air a couple times, like when that was okay. first doing its thing or whatever a million years ago. Uh, because my teacher at CMU uh, start like was one of the people that started air. Okay. Um, but again, like I didn't have a car and I was like, Oh, getting over there is a pain in the butt with all the stuff. And blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I mostly just worked out of my own space and that's what I do now. So to answer the question, um, I have been in a state of transition for so long that uh, you know, I, my, the way I work has actually adapted to the space I'm in. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, cause I was taught, like my interest has always been in oil and in egg tempera and like really mm-hmm. like fucking old ways of making stuff, you know, <laughs> like when I was in school, like, uh, and I studied abroad, I, you know, uh, I, was really into lithography, like which, mm-hmm. and specifically like stone, like literally yeah. drawing a fucking rock, uh-huh. right? <laughs> that kind of shit. Um, so uh, I wound up like not being able to do any of that <laughs> in a shit tiny apartment in Pittsburgh. So you know, I went back to the basics, and I would just like I would only use graphite, you know, and okay. I would like literally sit on the floor. Like this is when I had like nothing, you know. Um, I would find furniture on the street. I would take a lot of, you know, so I think one of my first desks, like was just some piece of shit, you Mm -hmm. know, thing, whatever. And I would just try to kind of make it as nice as possible. There were times, um, even in like when I was living at my parents' house, um, before I went to college, like I gave away my bed to my brother and, uh, cause I didn't have enough room for painting. Right. And I would just sit on the floor and like prop things up with boxes and just sort of like paint that way or draw that way. Um, and so now that I have, uh, like I am now an adult mm-hmm. and I live in a house, <laughs> like I don't uh, live like a fucking rat in a box anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, 
I, uh, you know, I have a space, I have an office, but even then that's been like a struggle because, uh, when we moved into that space, um, you know, uh, there's just like a lot of stuff that we've had to do to kind of get, uh, settled. And then, you know, I was always trying to figure out what worked for me. And, um, now I have a space, but it's, it's always kind of temporary. Um, yeah. unfortunately, even, even now with as stable as my life has literally ever been outside of, you know, uh, childhood. Um, like I have, uh, all the equipment that I need and I have, everything is now in the same room, which is really nice. nice. I don't have to like go all the way downstairs to get something and then go all the way up to the third floor and then back over to uh-huh. the second floor to get something, you know? So, uh, I like having everything in one room. That's, that's like a huge thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, things need to be organized, like relatively organized. I just like to kind of know where all my tools are. And as long as that is happening, then I have a studio basically, yeah. but like, but that's also why I focus so highly on like mobile thing. Like, being able to put everything in a backpack is yeah, like yeah. huge. You're good yeah. at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've always had to carry light though. Like that's always been the case. Um, and so, uh, yeah, but it's never been easier, you know, now with like iPad and mm. all that stuff, Instagram, it's like you can be a fucking professional artist with an iPad and an Instagram account. Like, yeah, who cares? You know, yeah, true. So, Am I answering this question? I feel like I just no, ramble. No, totally are. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. We're going to take a quick little break and then come back and I have more questions for you. Sounds great. Yay. Cool. And we're back. Um, Genevieve's back too. So yeah, yeah I guess I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So my next question is, how did Bridge Witches Tarot come to be? Why did you choose tarot as a medium? for your illustration? Mm. That's a good question. I think that, um, and I like the way you phrase that as far as like tarot being the medium, because that, that's kind of what I see it as. Mm-hmm. Um, I think all artists want to do a deck. Yeah. It's like a, it, <laughs> it's like tarot deck, children's illustration. Like, yeah. you know, it's like a thing. Um, and I think that's great. You know, it makes sense. I get it. Um, although I will say to anybody listening, uh, doing a children's book, those things do not stay published for very long and everybody's doing them. I'm just saying it's a tough field. Anyway, uh, not saying (laughs) nobody should do it. It's just like, it's very popular. Um, so I was, I had always kind of thought about it. Uh, but honestly, my, uh, my focus in college was painting, drawing and printmaking with a really heavy emphasis on the printmaking. Cause I Mm -hmm. love the cereal. I love the idea of like, like what printmaking provided for, like us as a society, as, as, you know, people, as, you know, the human race has been taking the image and being able to uh, share it more freely than ever, right? Like pre-internet, clearly, like all of that, like just being able to reproduce the same image over and over again um, and get it in as many hands as possible, um, I think is probably one of the coolest things we've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um and I think the technology behind it is fascinating. And so I've always been really interested in um, just that in itself, the idea of uh, not just uh, printing the same image over and over, but uh, telling a story within that one simple, simple image. And then also um, w- like, what is the evolution of a work within like a triptych, a diptych, et cetera. Um, I just think that there's so much opportunity to tell a lot of different stories and especially using uh, like visual 
symbol sets. Um, there's just so much potential there. Um, and I, I'm a big history nerd. I love history. I love um, reading about literally any account of any kind of mm-hmm. personal perspective across like, you know, the span of time. I don't have like a favorite historian or anything like that. Um, but I think that uh, it's important to know not just what the stories were before us, but uh, who was telling them um, yeah. <laughs> and, and why, uh, like, cause everybody has a perspective and a motive, even if it's a, a like, it seems altruistic, like there's still, um, you know, something behind that. Um, so tarot to me, um, has a really fascinating history. Mm-hmm. Um, not just as an object itself, but how people use it and what people imbue on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially right now, I think that there's a lot of controversy about what does it mean to know what kind of story and who's telling it and why. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think it's really, really, really interesting. I think that the the tarot as we know it, as most people, if we just had like your garden variety human being, most people, when they think of the tarot, they think of the Rider Waite deck. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't know that that's what it's called. Um, and a lot of people refer to that as the uh, Rider Smith deck. Uh, mm-hmm. Waite, so A.E. Waite uh, was like a Basically, he was a guy that was really interested in the occult and he was a writer and uh, kind of philosopher, kind of writing different things. I haven't read up enough about him, like, mm-hmm. uh, but that's kind of the quick and dirty aspect. Um, and he had written this kind of breakdown of the tarot and wanted to create these these images around it. So he hired Pamela Coleman Smith to, to illustrate mm-hmm. the deck. Uh, she did it in six months and uh, got paid barely anything for it. And then he made a fuck ton of money. Off of it. Uh-huh. And now it's published by like a game company, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of people put a lot of weight, like, you know, as, as a kid, I would hear things about like, uh, you know, like YMCA camp, there was like the chick with the deck and, you yeah. know, she was always like a year older than everybody else. So she like <laughs> fucking knew what was up and like, you know, like, uh-huh. Uh, she was going to tell everybody like, you know, it's magic and you can't touch my deck and I have to wrap it in this special thing. And, and, you know, as an adult, I've realized that that's just like a lot of fucking gatekeeping, like, cause that, yeah. that's literally what that is. Um, and, uh, and it's ritual, right? Like, which is fascinating. Like why, right? Like mm-hmm. why, why, why this, why that? So, um, I have all this kind of like spinning around in my head and I, uh, was talking to, a friend of mine who has read cards for 15 years, more than that at this point. And, uh, and she was like, yeah, if you want to do a deck, like, you know, I can help you like whatever. And she, she's very on the fence about like her involvement just because, you know, she didn't want to like overcommit to something, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we started working on it and my drawings were terrible. <laughs> like they were so bad, but it was great. Cause we would sit up like late into the night, just like talking about, um, kind of tarot and like what people like the different decks that people had made. Like there's so many different artist decks. There's so many different um, things that people have done with the tarot Oracle decks, like all kinds of stuff. And just this idea of like, to me, it's like a book, right. But it's just a book that you can read in any order that you want. Um, that's what I think about it. Like it's yeah. like, it's like a bunch of short stories, like which is shuffled. Yeah. And that's actually how I found the person to um, 
print my deck. It was through somebody who uh, had um, done a play as a deck. Oh, yeah. Wow. Uh, they had printed a play. They were a play publisher. And so uh, I was like, this is fucking cool. Um, I'm going to look into, you know, this particular company and they were fantastic and they they actually print the deck today. So, uh, so yeah, I also at that time, uh, was really, it, it was my first foray into working digitally. Um, really, I mean, I knew how to work digitally with some programs, but not Photoshop. I'd never painted Photoshop. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, this would be a great way to kind of figure that out. And it would be a great way to kind of talk about the things that have been kind of floating in my head since talking to people uh, for the EP collection, which was the podcast that I had before. So, which was all about Pittsburgh and about how Pittsburgh was changing and who is it changing for and, mm. you know, uh, how is that affecting creative people and, you know, et cetera. And what was, the, what was the creative scene here? Like, why did people stay here? Like what yeah. kind of lives are people carving out here? And so, yeah, I just kind of like combined all of those things into one thing. Um, and people seem to really like it. So I'm pretty happy about that. But uh, I like to go and revise it regularly. Uh, like, it, But like I said, it is it is a way of communicating these stories, right? Um, some of them are, are uh, kind of elaborated on things. Like they're not exact replications of the things that people have told me. Because I've struggled a lot with that. Like, you mm-hmm. know, who am I to tell somebody else's story? Yeah. But at the same time, I do have a platform. So what responsibility do I have, right? Like to... Definitely. So, and I don't have the answer there. I still haven't really figured that uh-huh. out, you know, but when I talked to people on my podcast, I was like, I had them sign a release. So, you know, I could do what I wanted with the things that I had collected. Yeah. And it exactly. wasn't like I entered into something, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think they knew it was going to be a tarot deck, but the way I put, I didn't know it was going to be a tarot deck at that point. So, <laughs> um, but the way I kind of phrased it, I was like, I might make something out of this just so you know. Yeah. So, um, and I think that's what's fucking cool about Pittsburgh. I don't think that this would have been possible without a place like Pittsburgh, which is just a big fucking laboratory yeah. for people. Like, it's not like New York or Los Angeles where it's really about being hyper competitive and how. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, and how, like, you know, uh, viable is this product, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like, whatever. Uh, that's just not really a thing here. We just make stuff to fucking make it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the cool stuff just ha- might rise to the top, you know? Or might not. <laughs> Who knows? Um, so, yeah. And I, like I said, I revise it just to kind of talk about different things. So, like, uh, the revision that I work on right now, I really want to. So, the, the, there's a suit of uh, what it, in other decks would be like coins or pentacles that talks about mm-hmm. like business or uh, like in the writer weight deck, there's like lots of merchants and, okay. you know, shit like that. Um, in the first iteration, I focused on the South Hills and I focused on small business owners, whether that's food, creative, like whatever. This one, I really want to talk about like hustle culture, tech culture, and burnout uh, and gig culture, right? Yeah. So like uh, you've been in the car with me at fucking Whole Foods when there's like everything's mm-hmm. backed up because the people that are like delivering groceries like yeah. are blocking traffic and it's this whole thing and you feel terrible because like this can't be the best job in the whole world. Absolutely. But at the same time, go fucking block traffic yeah. all the way out in the center <laughs> fucking avenue. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, come yeah. on. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I just, I, I want to, I want to talk about that. I want to think more about that. Um, I've worked three jobs at once, like, mm-hmm. you know, but that doesn't mean that I have 
the like, you know, uh, corner on talking about them or, you know, I think yeah, that, sure. yeah. So, um, yeah, really bridge, which is just a way for me to like talk about the things that I see around me that are happening. Um, and kind of give my opinion on those things. Um, and some people like it. I don't know. Yeah. Where are you uh, finding your, I guess, subjects or people that you're talking to for the new deck? Mm. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Like, sometimes yeah. I just, like, uh, there's a good example. I did a, one of the cards that I did was Fortitude, which uh, I, that is based on somebody who's not alive anymore, you know. Um, so I really, there was a, a part of the deck, this kind of answers your question, it's too, like, tangential to it. Uh, I really want to talk about uh, immigration in Pittsburgh because mm -hmm. we always, the other big part of this deck is like, what is a yinzer, right? And when people say yinzer, they're mostly talking about a white guy, blue collar, you know, middle-aged smoker, you know, like there's a very narrow yeah. definition of what a yinzer is. Um, and maybe his wife, right? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, that. And I think that like the, the thing, the biggest and most, probably most important idea in Bridge Witches that I don't talk about enough is that I wanted to, draw the world as I saw the world, like not mm -hmm. as I am told the world is. Right. Yeah. And so Pittsburgh is not just that one thing, right? Like Pittsburgh is black, Pittsburgh is Brown, you know, like, and there is a long legacy of that. That's not this new thing, mm -hmm. like of just like, and then black people showed up yeah. after all the Germans came, like, you know, it's like, <laughs> that's not how it worked. Like, you yeah. know? And so I went to the Heinz history center and I was like doing, I specifically asked for information about, um, African-American families in Pittsburgh before the great migration. Mm -hmm. uh, because I think that there's also this narrative of like, Oh, well it was just like, you know, the great migration that brought everybody here. Right. Like, and that's also not the case, you mm -hmm. know? And so I found out about this woman who, uh, you know, she basically was like, she owned this business it's called Miss Virginia Proctor's like uh, hair store. And she sold products to white women um, and uh, it was like wigs and like things for your hair. I don't know anything about hair. Like, so I don't know really what it was, but like, uh, uh, but her father was a really well-respected barber here in the city in downtown. And she married a man who also was a barber in a business. And, and basically like what this, uh, and this is through the African-American studies at Pitt, this guy who had written like tons of stuff about um, just sort of, black life in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was interesting cause it, they, it basically made the point of like, you know, nobody would hire a black woman to be a teacher in the schools after the schools were integrated, mm -hmm. but white women would go and buy things for their hair at this business, you know, that's owned by a black woman. And so it was like, you're allowed to like, so basically they talked about how small business became this huge thing for black families yeah. in Pittsburgh. Like that's how they made money, like, you know, and established themselves and like, I had the kind of these like little dynasties really, mm -hmm. um, and generations of that, um, and staked a claim here and, you know, uh, supported families and, and that went on to do amazing things, you know, that became, you know, the, the first, uh, there was one woman and I'm going to totally get this wrong. So, you know, I'm just telling you now I'm going to get it wrong, but, um, her descendants like turned out to be amazingly talented and like, well-respected people within the fields that they chose to like go yeah. into. So whether it's academics or something else. So, um, and I thought that was incredible. I was like, that's so fucking cool. Yeah. You know, like what a cool story, like right here, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's one example of so many things that happen here. 
And it's not, and Pittsburgh is really just a stand-in for literally anywhere. I don't yeah. think that these stories are unique. Well, they are unique to Pittsburgh, but I don't think that, I think everybody has, or every place has its own unique, interesting, weird cool history. And it's not always centered around this identifying narrative that we've all decided is the thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is really at the core of what my work is about. Like, that's what my work is like what I'm focused on is that like, and I think as an artist, like it's my job to sit back and look and watch and listen. Right. Yeah, definitely. So like, you know, that's what I'm doing. And so the new work that with uh, lost river, which is the new tarot uh, that I'm working on, um, you know, I want to explore more of those ideas, but from a completely different angle, more from like kind of the ghost story or like a mm. mythic angle, but instead of like, you know, back in the old timeies when things were bad, you know, or <laughs> when things were so great, quote unquote, like whatever, uh, I'm more interested in like, um, talking about the, the myth today, like, you know, the image that I just had up on Instagram recently was about wealth and like this, this lie that we tell ourselves that like, Oh, if we just work hard enough and follow the rules, then X, Y, Z thing is going to happen. But then it turns out that it's never enough. Right. Mm -hmm. It's literally just never enough. Um, And and then it becomes about the pursuit and then we're addicted to the pursuit. You know, we're addicted to checking our Instagram feed for how, for validation Mm -hmm. over making things that are actually worth sharing on Instagram. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So does that answer your question? <laughs> oh God. Sorry. Just like get on a tangent. No, it helps me lead to the next question. Cool. Um, so a lot of your art, I think for me sort of charts into this area of the grotesque and like very creepy or spooky stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about what draws you to those sort of subjects? I think that um, it's the same thing that, and this is going to sound so fucking stupid, but it's true. Um, <laughs> and it's only true because I recently was reading about it. I was like, fuck, it's actually kind of the same thing that I do. Um, I, I'm i not a huge Stephen King fan by any means. Like, mm-hmm. I like some of his books. I don't like all of them. But what I do like about his work, uh, and I think um, he's not the only example, but he's a good example that I think a lot of people know um, is that he's able to look at a situation that looks fine on the outside and then underneath um, is more fucked up than you could possibly mm. imagine, you know? Um, and and then he'll push that to the complete nth degree of just like, of uh, when people are under pressure, when things um, really hit the fan, like some, like the, the truth kind of reveals itself, you know? Um, and I think, also, I have a tendency to be very um, annoyed with only looking at the good side of things. Yeah. <laughs> I just think that that's uh, very Pollyanna and unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, I think that we're all capable of both very good and very bad things. Um, so, yeah, I just like to talk about the stuff that people don't like to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, especially now more than ever, um, you know, being a white liberal woman is all about making sure you look like you're on the right side of history. Uh And I think that's fucking annoying. (laughs) Like I was talking with somebody and I like this person, like, and so I'm not attempting to flame anybody, but like, Like, (laughs) no, I'm not. (laughs) Uh, But there was this like, Oh, I just really hope that like, you know, my ancestors didn't own slaves. And I was like, they probably fucking did. Like, you know, and I was like, even if they didn't, 
they probably were fucking racist. Like, yeah. cause I was like, I know my family was mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm sure some still fucking are, you know, like, yeah. and this idea that we don't like, I'm from the South. Like I was raised with bias. Like I know that. And it's not because my parents are fucking monsters or my neighbors were evil, you know, like swastika wearing fascists, but it's because like America has a real fucking problem, you yeah. know what I mean? And has forever. And mm-hmm. like, that's just the reality of this fucking world. Right. And we're taught to be terrible to each other yeah. and to not trust each other. And, you know, um, and I mean, I even look at it from a, like a, a gender perspective of like, you know, to be a woman, you have to like hate yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and whoever hates themselves the most, but gets away with, you know, being, um, you know, the ideal picture of femininity wins, right? Like it's a fucking joke, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, I don't, do I think that every single day is plagued by that thought? No, like, but but I think it's naive to think that the world isn't kind of based in those very harsh and terrible realities, you know? Um, and so I don't think that what I'm talking about is creepy in the sense that it's like, uh, titillating. I think it's yeah. creepy in the sense that it's like, Oh fuck. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and as much as uh, the, the area that I grew up in is super hyper conservative, I still went to the gay club and the woman that checked our IDs was a trans woman, like living mm-hmm. in the South, like, you know, people that lived on ships that were in the military, you know, that fucked up military that people have lots of varied opinions about. Like, there's people that are serving that are trans, that are gay, that are, you know, pagan, that are like, you know, like Muslim. Like there's people that, like some uh, that exist in all of these different things. And yet, like, I feel like right now we're all about kind of being very black and white about everything, you know? And that's just not what reality is. Right. Like I met somebody who made their own chain mail, you know, and hid the fact that they were gay. Like when they were out, you know, shipped off in the middle of the, because you know, the military is going to pay for college. Right. Yeah. Like, (laughs) um, And so I I don't know. I just think I love talking about those kind of things. I love um, for every time somebody's like, what about this? I'm like, yeah, but for every that there's this, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I I feel like I'm always playing devil's advocate, I guess. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. Does that? Yeah, it totally does. I'm on such a tirade right now. (laughs) No, you're totally fine. Okay. (laughs) I like to think about it as like when you're in a natural space and there are like, there's like a path or something that's like covered in stones and then you lift up one of those stones and there's like this whole ecosystem Mm -hmm. of living things that are like sometimes creepy looking or sometimes ugly or, you know, challenge things that you thought about the world. That's how I think about a lot of your art stuff. So I think it's really cool. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, How does the media you consume affect your work? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I can answer that. Yeah. I feel like that's, I would love for somebody to tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As far as like what I consume, um, a lot of times, so I'm a big reader. I love to read. Yeah. uh, Because I get to see the world from a different person's point of view. Um, And so that affects what I do for sure, uh, because it gives me insight, um, that I wouldn't have otherwise, um, and teaches me empathy that I wouldn't have 
You know, I think mm -hmm. uh, when people say they don't read, I feel really sorry for them. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wow, your life was really fucking boring. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's terrible. Like, yeah. yeah. So, um, but as far as like television and stuff like that, I have things that I like. Um, you know, uh, I don't know how it affects my work though. I really don't know. Yeah. I mean, what do you think? I mean, I talk to you about all the things that I consume. How do you think it affects it? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> that's why I asked you. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. All right. Fine. Fair. <laughs> but you do um, sometimes we'll do like drawings based off of characters in video games that you play, mm -hmm. or like recently with your Twitch stream, you've been doing that, like Michael Myers. Oh yeah. Bit. Yeah. So it's hard because like um, I want to do more fan art kind of stuff because I think it's yeah. fun. It's like to me, pop culture is like a language that we can trade in, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, that's that's honestly how I feel about a lot of pop culture stuff where it's like this is just a, a way for us to connect. Like it's, it's the same as tarot, right? Like yeah. we're going to connect over being a similar or compatible, you know, astrological sign in the same way that we're going to talk about how we both really like the latest Netflix series that we binged or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's honestly the same thing. Um, it's just a matter of degree. Um, and I think that, uh, when I do the fan stuff, it's hard because I have to have a connection to the thing that I'm trying yeah, for sure. or, or else I don't give a fuck about it. Like, <laughs> like when I initially was going to do a Pittsburgh tarot deck, you're like, Oh, you're going to do Sally Wiggins. And I was like, who the fuck is that? <laughs> I don't know who that is. Like, <laughs> it's like, I, they're like, you know, I'm like Mr. Rogers. And I was like, okay, I, I, you know, I watched Mr. Rogers as a kid, but like, I don't, I don't have the same. I think that's also part of like, I hate to constantly go back to it, but like with Bridgewitches is that like, it's, there's no football in it. There's no pierogies in yeah. it. Like, cause yeah. that's a part of Pittsburgh, but that's also the part of Pittsburgh that we've said is a part of Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily actually is like, yeah. How many people around here actually do have Mr. T or Miss T's like pierogies in their like freezer? Probably more than have grandma's homemade fucking, you know, yeah. kielbasa and, you know, <laughs> hand crimped pierogies. I'm not saying that people don't. I think it's good. You yeah. know, that's not me denying anybody like that vision or whatever of mm -hmm. the thing, but um, I don't know. Uh, so when it comes to pop culture stuff, I feel like the stuff that I'm a fan of, like sometimes is not as widely, or it's like just total fucking like dorks, you know, yeah, like that sure. hyper niche, you know, is really mm -hmm. the point I'm trying to make. Like, so I did like a thing about Fire Emblem and people were like, what the fuck is Fire Emblem? And I'm like, only the most popular iteration of the Fire Emblem series. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> Three Houses is very good. But yeah. So, yeah. I feel like the story that people tell about Pittsburgh that is like the popular vision, even like down to the accent, is still like super white. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 100%. Like, when I first heard a Pittsburgh accent spoken by somebody else, it was like, I don't know anybody that speaks like that. Right. Like, growing up in Garfield, I'd never heard yins, really, before that. I, like, heard y'all a lot, and I heard, like, you guys or y'all's mm -hmm. guys or whatever sort of, like, iteration of that use. happened. Yeah, use Definitely yeah. a lot of that. Um, but, yeah, that stuff is, like, very racially coded, um, yeah. which I think makes it so popular and easy for people to digest as like a part of our history. Um, so it's like cool that you do a lot of like stuff that's like shedding a light on the things that are, that are part of the history, but don't get a lot of shine or like respect. It's also, uh, I appreciate that. I also think it's not particularly profitable. I'll let you that know that people yeah. really would rather <laughs> buy something with a fucking pierogi on it and call it a day. Uh, 
but I will, I think it's also a, a class-based thing. Uh, mm. I see that a lot. Like um, if it's not, um, let's take this, uh, you know, this food that was basically poor people food and turn it into like high cuisine. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, then let's take like something like, you know, cause the, the, the classic, uh, you know, I, I have heard the Pittsburgh accent. Like, uh, when I worked, um, in South Oakland, I heard a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are people that, uh, you know, like even their history here in America is not a pretty one. It's not a cool one. Like it's, you know, one of poverty and like, (laughs) um, and hard work. And, you know, and I think that the thing that we always forget is that, um, so where I grew up was, uh, it was all farms, you know, for the longest time. And then now it's not that it's all McMansions and, you know, the shit. And so when I was a kid, we had uh, this event every year at the library where farmers would bring their sheep and they would shear the sheep and they would, you know, share what that was like, you know, and, and, and what it meant to do that. And then people complained that it was like mean to the sheep or whatever. And I'm like, it's actually not, they're not hurting the sheep. Like they're just getting a little haircut. Like, and they were (laughs) also like showing you like how they like turn this thing into something that you use every day. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. so super educational. And, uh, but we really got away from that. And basically like people, and I'm not trying to disparage everybody that ever bought a fucking McMansion in Chesapeake, Virginia. It's fine. Like everybody's got to have a place to live, like live your life. Just maybe think about the fact that like, um, what you're doing is saying like, fuck this crafty, like farm shit. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want this shit in my face. Like, because that's basically what it turned into. It was just like, they had no concept of what it was, what it meant. And it wasn't palatable. And so, but now like 15 years later, it's like, oh, but let's go back to the fucking farm. And I'm like, what, (laughs) that farm that couldn't afford to survive? Like, what are you talking about? Like that thing doesn't make, and it's like, there's a little bit of that here where it's like, let's go back to the fucking homegrown. Like, you know, my grandfather was a steel worker and if it was good for him, it's good for me. And I'm like, your grandfather worked his fucking ass off. So you didn't have to live in a Pittsburgh that was like black air Mm -hmm. and like complete, like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, definitely just this. That's why I think history is really important. Um, I don't know. I feel like I want a fucking soapbox. I really am not like this all the time. <laughs> like, I, you know, I don't want to be sounding like, you know, cause I'm not perfect. Like, you know, I'm not trying to say that like, I'm so fucking like woke bitch. Like, you know, <laughs> go like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. just like go read a book. Like, you know, like I just, I just think that there's, um, yeah, I don't really talk about this stuff very often because I'm thinking it more and just drawing about it more. And I think that's a better way of talking about these things other than yelling at people. <laughs> I don't want people to think I'm yelling at them. So yeah. <laughs> not trying to do that. <laughs> All right. We're going to take another break before this stops recording and then we'll be back. Genevieve, thanks so much for talking with me. Oh my this gosh. Great. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I have some questions for you before Ooh, we wrap up. Okay. Yeah. Um, so how, how has this process, like, cause you're such a, like, you know, thoughtful kind of listener person. So this makes sense, but has it been hard for you to like do the whole question asking thing and, you know, inviting people into your sanctum and <laughs> you know what I mean? It's been, you have to share a lot of yourself. I guess yeah. that's my point. Yeah. The hardest part has definitely been inviting some people into my sanctum. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the asking questions part has been okay for me because I love to listen to people talk about what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I like to create questions that maybe other people aren't asking or, you know, ask a question that's going to get some information that clarifies things for me and that'll eventually clarify things for other people. Mm. That stuff is like really cool to me. So I like doing this in that platform. It was really hard for me in the beginning when I was just doing episodes by myself. Mm. Just had to like talk. Those ones are like 30 minutes long. And it's just like a lot of me saying um, 40, 100 <gasps> times, you know. What did you talk about? You just extemporaneously... I would talk about um, stuff around writing mostly. Mm. So about submitting work to journals or like my writing process, Mm. uh, how I deal with writer's block and all that sort of stuff. How do you deal with writer's block? How do I? I do a lot of different shit. Most of the time I will go outside of myself and try and find inspiration in other things. So like Mm. the biggest one that I do is eating. Mm. Um, Like, I recently started eating persimmons, mm. which is a fruit that I never had before. And I was just like, I had read about them in a poem. That's how I learned about what they were. Are those like oranges, but they're not? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They kind of look like tomatoes, but they're like very orange tasting with like like an orange and a peach Ooh. kind of. It's really good. Ugh. Yeah. Um, so like trying to evoke something for myself through taste has been really a huge tool for me when I have writer's block mm. or even just like listening to music. Mm. I I often will do painting just to like see what it gets out of me mm-hmm. and then like write about what I painted. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I feel like ekphrastic poems are some of the ones that I write very rarely, but are my favorite when I do. Um, yeah. So that's how I do a writer's block. So I think you brought up something I think is really important. I think more people should like come to terms. And we've talked a little bit about this. Mm-hmm. Like I wish more people would just fucking draw or just fucking paint and not really yeah. make a big deal. out of it. Yeah. <laughs> And not be like, Oh, it's not perfect. Or oh, it's not like, you know, it's such a learned thing. I mean, so I guess my question is, do you think that anybody can learn to write? It's just not anybody can necessarily like, not everybody's going to write the same way. Right. Mm. Because, like, writing, I would say is, frankly, I don't, well, I don't know if I should say this, but it's almost more useful than drawing, like, in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. right? Like, if you have to, like, communicate via yeah. written word, right? It has that sort of baseline thing. Um, but, yeah, do you think that that is a thing? Like, I think so. Okay. Yeah. One of my old professors used to say that, like, you can teach anybody how to write, um, but you can't make them produce good content. Right. Or, like, valuable content. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think... It's like a really big topic of like our point of contention in the poetry community right now of like people that are writing poetry that are huge bestsellers that are at the top of the list. uh, But the quality is something that's in question of like, how does this contribute to the conversation of craft in any way. Mm. Um, I'm not going to say the particular poet's names that I'm thinking of, but there has been definitely a lot of controversy around that Mm -hmm. within the last few years, especially like the last three, I think, since this book came out that I'm thinking of. Do you think it's about kind of breaking down the institutionalized aspect of things? Like, like where, like, I know that the, I don't know enough about this, so I can't speak too much Mm -hmm. to it, but like the whole thing with the Booker Prize, like where Margaret Atwood won as well as, Another writer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Made, like tied. 
Yeah, which I'm like, that's not a thing. Like, yeah. that's literally never <laughs> happened. Like, why, you know, yeah. it was almost like they were like, well, we kind of have to give it to Margaret Atwood because when's she going to write another book? And I'm like, next year, probably. Yeah. Like, who knows? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, um, but yeah, uh, I, yeah, I don't know enough about it to speak to it, but I, it's just, it's interesting to me. Um, I, I went to this museum that is, uh, was created with a post, uh, colonial mindset. Um, and it had this like particular, uh, kind of mission to decolonize the museum process. This is a, it was in Maine, actually it's in Bar Harbor and it's uh, a museum that's for, uh, that's about native history. And like the focus is on like, there's an entire board of people that come from here. And this is like, you know, this input, et cetera. So that was really amazing. But I love this idea of like how, I think it's a, a provocative one, maybe. Um, like, as the product of colonization, like, how do I decolonize or like mm. de-biifies or you know, biasify? I don't know. You know, yeah. you're the writer. You can figure out that <laughs> <word>. <laughs> uh, and how do I like uh, participate? Like, and I'm not asking you to tell me, I'm saying that like, that's something I think about a lot Yeah, for sure. when I'm making stuff at this point. Like, what is the, like, now that I'm a little bit more aware, I don't think it's possible to be completely, like, I don't just, I just don't think that's yeah. possible. To, it's not possible to know everything. Um, <laughs> I tried to do a lot of drugs and figure it out, but it didn't really work. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I get kind of lost in that stuff that like philosophical kind of shit yeah for sure I feel like with writing especially the topic of decolonization that's how you say that word we'll try try today it's like (laughs) one that has been very charged a lot because mostly it's been around the literary canon and like the, the mm. greats that we think of mm-hmm. um, who are mostly white men. Um, and a lot of those white men were horrible people. Um, and that it's been like, what I've observed is a lot of people trying to look at spoken word poetry as a more legitimate form of art mm. um, and giving spoken word poets books um, and, you know, letting, them do what they do in a space that like maybe is primarily academic Mm -hmm. because I feel like spoken word especially is thought of more of a a black art form or like where people of color mostly thrive in that sort of space um even though there are like spoken word artists that are white and are great but or even just oral like people from the oral tradition generally speaking when I tell people I'm a poet they assume that I'm a spoken word poet I think because I'm black which is funny um, I never thought that. Yeah. That's so weird. And I'm not trying to say that to sound really cool. I just never thought that. <laughs> yeah. That's so strange. Yeah. Because I feel like you, the way you usually describe yourself is you're like, I'm a writer. I write poetry. Yeah. So like, exactly. I, I wouldn't immediately go to like spoken word. I also like, as much as I love to read, I'm not good at staying with what's like current as far as like, um, you know, uh, like what's popular in the writing world, mm. I guess, like je- just kind of generally speaking. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I'm pretty basic bitch. Like when it comes to <laughs> like, I'm like, I liked it. <laughs> it challenged my thoughts. Uh-huh. Like, 
uh, or I could read it. <laughs> Moving on. Like, you know, exactly. That's wild. No, sorry. I hate to like take you down a path. No, it's totally fine. No. Um, but yeah, do you have anything that uh, people can follow you on or any oh things that you want to plug? All the things. Yes. Uh, no, I think probably the best thing would be um, uh, my Instagram, which is a killer pancake illustration, uh, but it's spelled funny. So um, <laughs> I'll put it in the description of it. Yeah, that'll make sense. Yeah. So it's a, it has ones in it instead of L's, which <laughs> everybody's like, what the fuck? But if you put in, <laughs> if you put in KI11ER pancake, then and it's underscore illustration. It's pretty easy to find me. Uh, and my website, if you go to killerpancake.com, everything is there. Um, and no matter how you spell it, you'll get to killerpancake.com because I bought all the domains. <laughs> like, mm. Yeah. So, um, I'm trying to think if there's anything, well, for Black Friday slash Cyber Monday slash like whatever Tuesday slash small business Saturday, all that yeah. stuff. I'm going to be doing some kind of uh, deal. I think what I'm probably going to wind up doing is like all of my stickers and stuff are going to be super cheap. Um, and if you buy my, I have this new poster that I did for the, for the lost river tarot that I kind of spoke about a little bit. Mm-hmm. If you buy a poster, then I'm going to put them on a list and they're going to find out about the deck when it drops first okay. and they'll get 20% off on it. Oh, so nice. yeah. Um, yeah. That's, I don't know. That's all I have. Does that, does it, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Oh my God. I almost forgot. What is your untoppable bop for the week? So I was thinking when you said this, I was like, fuck, I don't know. I'm bad at this. Um, right now I'm listening to an audio book. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and I'm not going to tell you what it is because, well, maybe I will, but it's uh, embarrassing. It's mm-hmm. not, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. Uh, so it's by Sean Carroll and, um, it's called the big picture. Uh, and it's, uh, let's see, I need to look at the full thing, uh, on the origins of life, meaning and the universe itself. He's a, um, like a physicist. Oh, so yeah. And it's fucking so interesting. Um, yeah. Cause he's also, uh, he considers himself a poetic naturalist. Ooh. So he talks a lot about like uh, the difference between sort of our ontological view of the world as opposed to um, like a, like a, a belief system or a system of faith that's not necessarily rooted in like this hard binary of like it exists or it does not like that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So um, yeah, he wrote this really amazing uh quote from a poet. Ooh. Yes. I put it on my, uh, actually I'm going to look it up. Do you mind if I just really quickly? Cause yeah, I thought sure. it was so good. And I just loved, um, what he said. Uh, well, this particular poet was just really, really good. Um, oh my gosh, you're going to have to edit this part down, but that's, that's okay. okay. Very cool. Uh, do, 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 I'm like, where did I put it? Uh, it's here. And it's great. And it's really <laughs> got it's totally worth. Um, there we go. Uh, so the uh, have you heard of this poet? Her name is uh, Muriel Rukeyser. Rukeyser, maybe. Ruk- yeah. Uh, she wrote uh, that the universe is made of stories, not atoms. Ooh. And uh, and he brought that up, and it was yeah. just really fascinating. Just kind of. Um, you know, talking about the relativity of yeah. our own fucking existence. 
dance. That's the thing. That I <laughs> it was just cool. Like he, he specifically talked about, he's like, well, if we want to talk about what reality is like, um, you know, then he got really deep into philosophy. He was talking about like, is this table real? Well, the atoms that make it up are real, but is the table itself real, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, if I'm basically like, I think therefore I am kind of shit. Yeah, for sure. Which I thought was really. That's fucking cool. Yeah. So that's what's going into a lot of my work right now. So get ready for that. Okay. <laughs> God, people are just going to be like, shut the fuck up. Lady. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you for coming. All right. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Fig Widow Cast. You can follow me on Instagram at bell.bivthehoe. Follow me on Twitter at Fig Widow. And you can subscribe to my newsletter on my website at dannyjanae.com. You can also read my blog at figwidow.com. And you can find me on Facebook at Danny Janae Poet. Until then, my friends, save spiders and eat fruits. <laughs>